We'll now return to today's regular session and remind listeners on audio that this is the Southern Alberta Council of Public Affairs event. Our topic this afternoon is what you should know about Alberta's water market. I invite our speaker, Danelle Joyce, to back to the podium to begin a question and answer period for the next 30 minutes. Danielle? Well, I should say just our format for the questions is, should remind you, of course, you know this already, but uh, go to the microphone, please, so that we can capture it on audio on our website and uh, announce your name and um, a brief comment, if you wish, and then limit yourself to one or two questions. There are no questions except at the microphone, please. Thank you. My name is Knut Peterson. Uh, Danielle, I would like to ask you, do you have an opinion on bottled water and how should we proceed with the bottled water industry? Do you, do you agree with the bottled water industry or do you think that municipal water is okay? So um, with respect to bottled water, I usually begin with talking about municipal water supply. I cannot speak to the city of Lethbridge, um, but for the most part, if you're in a regular-sized municipality, even a small one, your water supply coming out of your tap will be safe. That water is regulated more so than bottled water. So... So really, there's a problem. There's a problem with the perception that the bottled water is somehow safer, basically. Um, but that's not even the biggest issue. <laughs> the biggest issue is the amount of energy and environmental impact that's associated with making those bottled, that, that actual plastic, and then it's thrown into the landfills, or even if it's recycled, the amount of energy it takes. So I think we all have to be very, very careful about buying the bottled water and asking ourselves, well, why are we doing that? Sometimes it might make some sense if you're maybe on the road, but I would say that people should probably stop buying bottled water. Just before, this one. Just before our next question, um, over lunch we... Uh, noted that you were going to mention the time frame for the consultation that's coming up, and you said you were going to start this session so right. by telling us about what that time frame is. Right. I, had meant to, I had meant to uh, let everyone know, because I really hope all of you with your interest in water will participate. So this, this fall, the Alberta government, Alberta Environment, will be conducting public consultations with all of you on what you think about Alberta water market or the allocation, and it's so critical for people to participate. So when that process occurs, I hope people like Cheryl will actually let you all know, and then you will attend any meeting or uh, put your comments in, whatever you think. But the public needs to have, I think, more involvement in all of this. Hi, Danielle. Thanks for a really enlightening presentation. Uh, my name is Rena Was. Um, as you, as most of us know, Bruce Power, nuclear giant, is um, looking to expand its markets. Can't blame them. Uh, and they're looking, um, well, right currently lobbying heavily our government to set up shop here in Alberta. So I don't, you didn't cover nuclear, but how much water do you know does a nuclear reactor require? And what is the condition of the water when it 
um, leaves that plant because you were talking about healthy water, healthy rivers, something that all of us want. Can you enlighten us on this, please? I'll do the best I can. Um, I wish I had some more expert knowledge on the uh, use of water with respect to nuclear power, and I actually don't have a specific expertise in that area. But when it comes right down to water and nuclear, nuclear power plants require water to for the cooling tower. So that there's no doubt there's a water need. I don't know what how much uh, a nuclear power plant needs in terms of water, but the issues that I've dealt with in the U.S., so my expertise is from the U.S., and I don't know what Bruce Power specifically is rec- recommending, but that sizable volumes of water from rivers are needed, and then you when you cool it, the issue is, there's two issues. One is that it's if it when once it evaporates, it's consumptive. So that water is is gone from the river. Some amount is is gone up in the steam, and the rest of it gets released. But it's hot. It's hot water, or it's too warm. And so the question is, what is the discharge of the of the nuclear power plant from the cooling towers? What's the heat of that in terms of impacts to fish? And then how much of that water is actually going up in steam? So I think there are issues. I, I will say that sort of my, from my own personal perspective, the issues around nuclear power plants, water is but one issue, and maybe not even the biggest one. Really, I think some of the bigger issues around nuclear power are ones that, you know, associate with the waste and the health and the safety and that sort of thing. So right now there's a consultation process going on, is my understanding, and then all Albertans are being asked to provide their input about their opinions about nuclear power before we start bringing in nuclear power into Alberta, and I encourage everyone to participate in that uh, process. June 7th is the cutoff for comments, so I I hope people participate. It's a debate that we need to have before we open the floodgates. Uh, Kurt Klein, University of Lethbridge. Um, so you didn't tell us what your solution would be. What is better than a water market if you've got to allocate some water, reallocate? Who do you take the water away from and how do you decide who gets it? Right. Okay. Well, my the solution that my organization has put forward and we are putting it forward officially is something called a water share system. And that share-based system is something that you will find in Australia today. And essentially what that is is that people have water rights, but that water right varies from year to year depending on the amount of water that is available. And so it is a change to the current system, but it's actually happened in other jurisdictions. And importantly, it actually recognizes the priority system within that. I think there's, there's, there's really no doubt that the first-in-time, first-in-right, or the priority system is part of the fabric of our water allocation system. So really it's a matter of how do we try to aspire to some of these ideas of creating water for the environment and outside the market, and I think that is actually with a share-based system. So that's something we're asking this government to seriously consider as it looks at all the options. Uh, my name is Van Christou. Thank you very much, Danielle, for bringing a very uh, important topic to us today and doing it so effectively. Um, I know I learned a lot about some of the statistics that were really quite alarming about the uh, availability of water to us in the future. Um, with such a critical issue, uh, it seems to me that, that one of the important things is that this matter of our overuse of water at the present time in relation to other places in the world is significant. 
and how do we tackle that other than having you come out and, and, and tell us about the need for us to change our habits. But we're going to have to do a lot more than that, it seems to me, uh, with the younger people to teach people in their school system. Uh, what, what is your um, um, organization doing to influence the educational system in terms of teaching children from an early age the importance of water and water conservation? That's a great question. Uh, I'll begin with saying I apologize that I, didn't, I wasn't able to get to a longer version of this presentation where I actually go into water use in your household because at the end of the day, people kind of wonder, well, what can I do? I mean, this is such a big issue, and we have a lot we can do in our everyday lives. So, um, so in general, there's lots of opportunities for each of us in our households, and I encourage you to go home and think about what you can do. Um, but in terms of what my organization is doing, we're not doing anything yet, but we want to, and we look forward to, to getting more involved. Um, I used to direct an organization uh, called Bow River Keeper, uh, where we focused on the Bow Basin, and we had something called Friend of the Bow, and we actually had a program where people could participate and actually make commitments. And then we would actually work with them over a year uh, with that household, and we would keep up with them. And then we would come back to them in a year and say, how many of these commitments uh, did you make? And, and by and large, people did maybe 50% of it. I mean, we always get really ambitious, don't we? But uh, to, if people could actually do 50% of what they'd like to do, we would save a lot of water. So I hope that Water Matters can get more involved. Uh, Lorraine Nichol, University of Lethbridge. Um, Danielle, when you talk about balancing water, um, it really is a triple bottom line of social, environmental, and economic. Um, and I'm involved in water, too. And what I think is a very positive development is that there seems to be less of an adversarial approach towards water management and more of a collaborative approach. And I just came from the OWC's uh, AGM, the Old Man uh, Watershed Council's OGM, and there's, there's evidence of this happening. And I, I really, really like seeing that. What would be your perspective on that um, from an environment as, you know, you're an environmental uh, advocate and work with an environmental group? Do you think that we're making some progress in that regard? Well, I think so. I, I would say that I, I've only lived in Alberta for about five years now, so my my horizon is not very long, and many people who have lived here for 20, 30 years have told me that things are actually a, there's a different conversation going on with Rotter. There, the environmentalists were over here, and everybody else was over there, and it was just you know really adversarial. So I think that things are different. Um, so I actually, what I hope for is that we can actually. Um, at the end of the day, find solutions. I mean, to me, it's really about the environment has always been pitted against the econ economy, and it is such a false dichotomy to do that. I mean, we rely on a healthy environment for us to have a healthy economic society. So if we can start to live and, and actually operate under that assumption, then I think that we can have a healthy economy and a healthy environment. We're still in that sort of dichotomy, I think. We're not quite we, we still view the environment as, oh, well, we can kind of address some things, but not a lot. So I think we have some work to do on that, but it, I do see a shift in people realizing this is not an either-or prospect. And since no one ask, is asking a question, I wanted to acknowledge something that is not very well known, but it's really important. Um, the Alberta Irrigation Projects Association, I see Ron over there behind some people. Um, they have just, they're in the in midst of um, 
completing an efficiency plan, an actually a conservation efficiency and productivity plan uh, for the entire irrigation sector. And they're basically maybe at the tail end, I'm not sure exactly where they are, but sort of at the end of the process where they've identified opportunities and they're going to be implementing that plan. And so I think there are really good things, particularly in southern Alberta, going on, and uh, I hope that they get the recognition they deserve for being being proactive um, and the first industry to actually address that plan. Go get a clap for them. Uh, my name is David Hunt, and I work for Alberta Environment, so I am a provincial employee. Um, some of the things that you've discussed here, it's great. You've got the basic out, you know, I mean, you've got the outline. You did a great job in the time period that you that you have. Uh, just a, a couple of comments. The, the existing Water Act, when we talk about uh, reservation of water for, for human uh, consumption purposes, reservation of water for uh, the environment, for those basins that are open, the minister can make a decision to do the re reservation of water. So there is the capability of that. It, just about everything that you've discussed in here is already in the existing legislation. It just needs to be discussed amongst that existing legislation. Um, and you know what? It, it, it's a process that does take a long period of time because the Water Act has only been out for 10 years. Um, and uh, participate in those discussions. Um, water conservation objectives can be established for the environment. Um, all of those discussions can happen. And changing, changing the legislation, there might be some benefits that are associated with that. There might be some negative things that are associated with that. But um, I can't say because I don't know what, I can't speculate because I don't know what proposals will be in the end. But it'll be interesting. Yes, I mean, and it's a good point about the Water Act. I mean, there's there's a little bit of a debate going on about how much we can actually operationalize the current Water Act and pick up the tools that are with it, within it, as you say, because there's quite a bit of, of tools that have been built in, and the government then needs to pick it up and, and use them. Um, some others, and I would say... I'm sympathetic to the, that we may need to make some changes legislatively to actually institutionalize some of the things we're talking about, but I'm not, I don't think we need a wholesale change. I think we actually probably, for example, one thing is the private right to water. If my organization wants to have a bake sale and raise money and buy somebody's water right, let's just say, uh, to keep water in the stream, that currently is not legal. That, that's illegal. <laughs> so I think that there is a, a huge opportunity to empower groups like Chot Unlimited, the Nature Conservancy, and maybe Water Matters to actually try to restore some of that water by actually purchasing. And this is a, you know, a, a, that's a market transaction, but right now we can't do that. So there's a few places where I would argue we'd have a, maybe change the act, but by and large, I think there's tools there. And just one other comment with regard to water sharing. Um, it's called an assignment under the Water Act, and um, that happened in 2001. Um, when when uh, Danielle discusses the 1950 priority, she knows that firsthand because she's probably talked to somebody in her department that uh, gave her the cutoff line. Um, in 2001, if uh, the senior priority rights and time did not share or assign their water to the junior users, they could have taken everybody, uh, basically taken all the water um, for themselves. But as a community here, as people work together and as you have industry in this community that is dependent on the water, a lot of those uh, users are the junior users. I would suggest that the senior priority rights and time would not have any part in the economy 
if those if those senior users actually took that to task and said, no, we want all the water. Well, guess what? We don't have the potato plant operations. We don't have the sugar facilities. They would not be able to run because they have a junior priority to those senior rights. Yeah, and in the and the, the story behind this, what happened in 2001, I believe, is really quite significant. And what happened there actually generated a number of awards, I believe, um, internationally. But basically, when the water was low, people came together in a community and figured out a way to share the water. And it was really... Uh, at the end of the day, I ascribe a lot of that to the goodwill of the people that, that were willing to participate in the water sharing. Um, so that is, to me, hope. I mean, that's what I consider um, the way to deal with water. I would argue we, we should be doing that sort of in a more institutional manner, not just in the extreme drought situations, but it's exactly that that we need for the future. So thanks for your comments. My name's Cheryl Bradley, and several years ago now at SACPAW, we had a debate about the whole issue of uh, irrigation district with a really large allotment of water applying to be able to use that water for more than just irrigation. Like their license said, you're, you're, you can use this for irrigation and agricultural purposes, but there was an application to be able to use it for other purposes. And there has since been another irrigation district north of Calgary that's uh, made a similar application. And so I'm wondering, I'd like you to expand on what the implications of that are. If a large water user can just say, well, just let me use it for a whole bunch of purposes and I'll decide who gets the water. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you've thought that through a bit. Yeah, so... This is how I would put it. I'm not sure how everybody else would put it. But this is really, we have large water users that have um, infrastructure. They have infrastructure that they've built that could actually also deliver water for other uses. So the question is, uh, generally, if you're going to change, if you're going to share water, you're going to transfer that water to another user and that the the management of that water is is kept with the government of Alberta. They continue to manage that water. This this proposal, um, which we were involved in the latter one, we see it as the government has less of a management role over that. The management of that water is actually by that water user, not by the government. And so there is a big question in our mind whether someone who received water for a specific purpose should then be all of a sudden able to then use it and sell it and distribute it for other purposes. And it's, I hope I've made like very, things more complicated, but at the end of the day, I think it really comes down to this. Um, I guess our organization's interest is that, that the government of Alberta be the primary managers of the water, the direct relationship between all waters, between the government and the user, and the intermediary uh, approach is not currently the way it's been applied. is not something we're comfortable with. My name is James Moore. Thank you for coming, Danielle. Very, very good to hear you. My question is... Um, the United Nations recently, very recently, had a <clears throat> discussion about water being a human right. And Canada didn't like that idea under the present Harper regime. Can you speak to the implications of water being a human right in the context of increasing drought and diminishing supply 
vis-a-vis the private right of water and what that would mean. I mean, are we looking at people dying of thirst because they haven't got a couple bucks? Or, you know, please uh, expand on that. Well, you might be surprised by my answer, at least as it applies to Canada. <laughs> the human right to water debate is hot. It is, it is one of the hottest issues. When I, whenever I speak, it's probably one of the number one questions that come up. In Canada, the human right to water, my concern with that is only, I think everybody needs a certain basic human water need. My concern is that that becomes an uh, excuse to, um, to build communities and expand communities that maybe shouldn't grow. So my concern around human right to water in Canada is more along the lines of we need to be, we actually have lots and lots of water and we can meet all the needs plus 10 times growth. So we need to be thinking about that, what the human right to water in Canada means and what the implications are because that could actually turn on its face. If you're in a third world country, we have to have that right set aside. No doubt about it. Um, there is there are big issues associated with companies coming into third world countries and actually building infrastructure and then basically uh, turning around and selling that water and then it all of a sudden becomes something that is not accessible. So I think it's a really important issue at the United Nations for third world, maybe second world countries that have horrible quality issues. Um, but as it applies to Canada, I think that we should be thinking a little bit more along the lines of what does that mean, and what do we really mean when we're setting aside that water? Graham Greenley. Uh, Danielle, do you think that uh, interbasin transfer is going to occur in the future? For instance, where water from the Peace River might be brought down to the south at a cost of billions upon billions, of course, and who knows what the environmental costs might be. And uh, what would your organization think of such a scheme? <laughs> um, well, right now, the law suggests that there should not be any interbasin transfers, so a transfer of water from a northern basin to a southern basin. That is currently not permitted unless the legislature approves that. Well, for the last five legislative sessions, every single session they've approved an interbasin transfer. So it's really not an ex- it's not something that we're picking up light. I mean, we're, we're sort of starting to treat it a little bit more along the lines of this is something we're going to do on a regular basis. So I am concerned about interbasin transfers becoming something that we reach for and say, well, the northern Alberta has the water. Why wouldn't we actually transfer it and bring it down here because we're water short? Um, now, I've, the other side to that, that coin is that some say it is so expensive to bring that water down. There's so much infrastructure. There's no way that that will happen. There's just no way. The money is too big. And I've had people in industry tell me, don't worry. It's not going to happen because the money is too much. I would say... I think the institution, the legal institutions, need to be erected a little bit stronger and we need to be guarding against because water may become so precious and potentially so valuable that that pipeline from, let's say, the Peace or the Athabasca becomes more of a reality, maybe not right away, but maybe 10 or 15 years from now that might actually be more of a possibility. Something to watch. 
Uh, I'm Trevor Page. Um, <clears throat> leading on from the last question and referring to your presentation, which covers Alberta and the scene nationally and internationally, that we are running out of water. What role, if any, do you think the federal government should be taking on this situation? Well, as a matter of fact, uh, we, I learned this morning that the Auditor General uh, actually identified that the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, federal agency, um, has not been doing their job when it comes to water. And I haven't had a chance to read the opinion, but essentially that actually supports a lot of the concerns we've had that the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, which has a, a federal responsibility to protect fisheries, has been not doing everything they can do. That's the nice way of putting it. Um, there's really a tremendous amount of authority within the federal government to step in. Uh, for the last two days, there have been hearings, uh, federal hearings on the oil sands, and uh, my organization was involved in that. And basically, for two days, the federal government came in and listened to arguments about what the federal government should do when it comes to water and the oil sands. And there are very, very lengthy legal announce, pronouncements, sort of analysis, that says here are all the things the federal government could do when it comes to water. The problem has been that we have a very clear and very defined role for the provincial government. And so I think that the provincial government and federal government responsibilities either have been confused or there has been overlap or there has been uh, maybe even debates between the two about who gets to do what. And I think that's been unfortunate because we need the federal government to have a role, particularly when it comes to fisheries. And my hope is that they can be more involved and come in and be welcomed versus we don't want the feds involved, which has been more of the, the case, I think. Thank you. My name is Ron Renwick, and I'm manager of the St. Mary River Irrigation District. And uh, I know a little bit about the matter of license change. And I guess the first thing I would say is um, Alberta Environment should retain control over the water in Alberta, which they do, and the licenses. Uh, many of you probably know an acre foot of water is one foot of water over an area of one acre. We have license for three separate licenses for 772,000 acre feet, so they're huge. Uh, we did modify it to the tune of uh, 12,000 acre feet because there was a need out there for industry primarily to get another avenue to obtain water. And I think a lot of people in this room maybe are supported by some of these industries. I know I certainly am. And uh, we are doing our best to improve our efficiencies. And uh, I'm probably the best friend you have, Danielle, because the better job I can do and the better job the irrigation farmer can do, the more water that stays in the river. And that's what we all want. And uh, I don't really have a question, but I do have a compliment. I like your attitude and your approach to collaboration. I don't feel like... Uh, after this meeting anymore that you're going to take me out in the alley and work me over. So, 
Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. I really appreciated that. I have one uh, final question. Of, if somebody else gets one, we still have time on the clock. Um, please go to the mic if you've got one. This is just to sort of tidy it up. During our discussion at noon hour over lunch, you had some comments about things you hoped might uh, occur during the, um, the consultation this fall Could you and various alternatives that might be presented to us. Do you want to say a little bit about that? Well, I think, I think the main thing that I hope for the fall is, is just a full debate, really a full debate of all the possibilities. And I guess I do have a little bit of a fear that um, the, the range of options that are going to be discussed this fall are going to be pretty limited. And there's a really good reason why that is maybe the case. Changing is hard. Changing takes a lot. And we're talking about something that we've had for 100 years. It's, it's not, not going to be easy. I, I don't think it's going to be easy. Um, but I think I think that we have this huge opportunity in Canada that other places don't have because we are doing so well with respect to water that we actually could redefine the way we do things with water and then become a model. Um, and we have been a model in some ways, but I, I think that we need to broaden the discussion beyond just the narrow, we're going to keep the current system but make a few changes. I really would like to see a debate about all the options, which includes looking at the water share system and looking at different ways to look at water supply. Deborah LeBeau, um, with the models for global warming and whatnot, the market hasn't feared any um, that, I, that you had on the display, our neighbors to the south and their increased uh, requests for water from us. I was waiting for the question. <laughs> Just wait. I was like, wow, no one's asked me that question yet. It's the number one question people have. Um, and this is what I told the news media earlier today. I actually believe that Alberta, the Alberta government has done what it's supposed to do to make sure that doesn't happen. I actually think the government has done what they need to do. Now, the only complaint I would have is I would love to see the legal analysis on the current Water Act that shows me that, in fact, they have done all the things that they said they have done to guard against this U.S. thing. Um, so I would like to see that, and I'd like them to, ha to share it with us, and not just with us, because I obviously have some confidence, but there is a very significant public out there that is very concerned about this. So I think it would be in the Alberta government's best interest to actually go out and say, here are all the things we've done to make sure that the U.S. can't come up and use the water market in a, and, uh, and basically commodify water and make it subject to NAFTA and all the issues. But that analysis hasn't been made public, and I, I'd like to see it so that we can then – I'd like to dispose of the issue and focus on what's, wh how we're managing water in Alberta. But I think your, your question is a good one. Then thank Danielle for coming from Canmore and giving us such a fine presentation. Thank you. Thank you.